0: I can't believe the news today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song? The song is Sunday, Bloody Sunday by the Irish rock band U2. And it refers to the Troubles, as they were called euphemistically, really a civil war in Northern Ireland, which started roughly in 1970, 50 years ago. And in particular, the song refers to one terrible Sunday in 1972 that came to be known as Bloody Sunday when 13 civilian protesters were shot and killed by British soldiers, bodies strewn across a dead-end street as Bono sings. And as he belts out those words, how long, how long must we sing this song, he's asking, really on our behalf, all of us, how long we are going to have to wait for the Lord to come and rule the world as the Prince of Peace. Now, Christmas has come and gone. We've celebrated the arrival of Jesus. God has come among us. But how long before justice truly and completely prevails, before the good creation that God gave us in the beginning is restored to its completeness, its shalom, its peace? How long before every tear is wiped away and all of this is made new? How long? Now, we may not live in a war zone, but there's violence in our lives too. Later, in the same song, Bono sings about trenches dug within our hearts, mothers, sisters, brothers, children torn apart. We talk about the joy and the peace of knowing Jesus. We do that a lot on Sunday mornings, and that's right, that's proper. But then we go home to a day-to-day reality, which is often marked by conflict, by disappointment, by sorrow, by loneliness. And on Monday morning, we get the latest news from around the world. Stories about suffering and pain, it sometimes feel predominate. So we live in that tension. And here in Luke 2, we meet a man called Simeon, the passage we're going to look at today, who can help us with the tension we feel in all of our lives that way. He sings the last of these songs of Christmas we've been working our way through since the beginning of Advent. So let's pray before we open our Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of all of our hearts here today be acceptable and even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to read Luke 2 from verse 22 to 35. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the rising, the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. I didn't introduce myself at the beginning. My name's Alex. I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright, and I want to also say Happy New Year to you. Year. Year. <laughs> yeah, that, that, let's try that again, shall we? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. There we go. Some of you, if you're away in the holidays, may be coming into this space for the first time. Isn't it beautiful in here? So this is our newly renovated sanctuary. We we're, were in the gym for how long? Two and a half months, I think, as the work was done on this sanctuary. So uh, we're very pleased to be here. And later this month, we'll have an opportunity to celebrate this, and we'll celebrate that when our new chairs arrive. And And... Justin and I have talked about maybe incorporating the traditional blessing of the backsides into that service. So So this morning, in this passage in Luke 2, we've read, we meet Simeon in the temple. And that's where Luke's gospel began. And now, after the birth of Christ, we're back there. We're back in the temple, back in Jerusalem. Luke wants to make it clear to us once again that this new thing God is doing... These new songs people are singing, all of this arising from the arrival of the word made flesh of this child, the Christ child. All this new stuff is rooted in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and in the story told in the Hebrew scriptures. So in a way, it's not new at all. And we find the law of Moses mentioned five times in this passage as if to underscore that point three times in the first few verses alone. And we see that Mary and Joseph, thank you for that. We see that Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, are committed to obeying the law. They circumcised Jesus at eight days. That was in the previous verse when we didn't read. And after 40 days, they go to Jerusalem to consecrate him and to make the sacrifices that are called for. So Luke wants us to see Jesus as the unique and particular source of our salvation, but also to see him as part of this larger story that only makes sense when you trace it back all the way to Genesis, as we've done this fall, and you see it as part of the original, the first coming of the light into the world. But the whole point of being rooted in Scripture is to be alive, too. And so alongside all of these verses packed with biblical references, you've got the Holy Spirit inseparable from God's word. Three times the Spirit is mentioned here as directing the course of events, and the Spirit always points us to Christ, and he does that here as well. He gives us two things in particular in this passage that leap out. First of all, he gives us eyes to see what we need to see, to see beyond the surface appearance of things. And then he gives us an extraordinary patience for every challenge in our lives. So Simeon was waiting, and we gather he'd been waiting his whole life. That's a long time to wait. He'd been waiting for decades for what he calls the consolation of Israel, which means that he was waiting for the Messiah. And that reference to the consolation of Israel is taken right out of Isaiah 40. Simeon saw it coming, the spirit had assured him that he would see it, and then he recognizes it in this moment in this child, Jesus. And the spirit gave him patience his whole life leading up to this moment. When we grow impatient, we lose sight of the things that matter. We risk not seeing what God has for us until we learn to wait if you were here on Christmas Eve, I, I offered proof of original sin, the doctrine of original sin, with reference to the fact that they need to install speed bumps at the Costco gas station. And I was at Costco on Friday, and, and I, I beheld it with my own eyes, a car whipping through the gas station, almost hitting someone. So patience is a struggle for us. And, of course, we are waiting for much more significant things than gas in our lives. Some of you are waiting right now in a particularly difficult posture. You're waiting for God's guidance about some big decision you're facing. You're waiting for something new to happen in your life that feels pretty mundane, ordinary. You're waiting for a breakthrough in a relationship in a particular circumstance. I recently heard the story of someone who had waited 20 years for peace in their family, for reconciliation with their sibling. And it finally happened this year in the weeks leading up to Christmas. God is good. What Simeon sees here is worth waiting for. And so he bursts into song. We don't have time today for more commentary on musical theater, but the singing arises always from the joy. And so he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. And the first word of his song is now. That's not how the English translation puts it, but in the original language, it's explosive now, right now, dramatically in this moment, this turning point, everything changes now. So Mary's song, as we saw four weeks ago, is called the Magnificat after the Latin translation of that poem she utters in Luke chapter one and its first line where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Zachariah's song, which we looked at three weeks ago, is known as the Benedictus, also for its first word, Benedictus, which means blessed be the Lord. And for centuries, Christians have prayed those songs, those poems, those prayers, the Magnificat, the Benedictus, in churches, in monasteries, in their personal prayer lives. And those are words that make sense, right? We magnify the Lord. We want to bless the Lord's name, to praise him. We've sung already to that effect this morning. But Simeon's first word here is simply now. Nunc dimittis, it is in the Latin. Now dismiss. Some of you, if you have the King James Version, will find that in the English. Now dismiss. Now I can leave, I can depart. Now I'm at peace. Now everything is better. Everything I've been waiting for has come. And so the story of Jesus begins. It's set in motion with this now. Now. Because the light has come in Christ. That's why Simeon can depart in peace. That's why he says that he's ready to die, because he has now seen a light like no other. God has revealed his salvation to the Gentiles, to all people. And it begins now in this little baby who is the glory of Israel. These two words are not often encountered in our culture, in the media We don't hear Latin very often anyway, but I was on social media this week and a friend of mine used these two words, nunc dimittis, in a post they made about their husband who was just, at the time, two days away from death. And so one of the ways this story can serve us in our lives is to prepare us for the hour of our death. Do you feel peace as you face your own death? Maybe it's not something you ever think about. But that day will come. And so Simeon invites all of us to find the peace. To not be afraid of death. Because of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Nunc dimittis. Now dismiss. Now I can depart in peace because of Christ. But it's not all good news here in Luke 2. There's trouble also. Simeon has finished singing and he speaks to Mary about the baby. He refers to Jesus as the cause of many falling and rising in Israel, as a sign that will be spoken against, and most alarmingly, as a sword that will pierce her own soul. I was reading over a list of the most notable events of the past decade recently, as as you do, around New Year's time. Some wonderful things happened in the past 10 years, as well as some terrible things. On the list of wonderful things is the past decade has seen the greatest reduction in poverty in the world in the history of humanity. A terrible thing is that this decade was also, this past decade, was also the worst for mass shootings ever. We had one in Toronto a year and a half ago. On the Danforth, you might recall, three people shot dead. The greatest loss of life in a mass shooting this past decade was in Las Vegas in 2017. 58 people shot dead, 800 injured. There was one at this time, last Sunday, at a church in Texas. Maybe you read about that. Three people shot dead. What a mercy that we don't need to come to church armed here in Ontario. But the one that always comes to mind for me as I think back on this decade, the one that I will never forget that made the greatest impression was the school shooting in Newtown, Connecticut. Just before Christmas in in 2012, when 20 children between the ages of 6 and 7 and Six adult teachers were shot dead in their classrooms by a man possessed of evil. I remember reading about it, and I remember Chloe, who at the time was 10, coming and sitting next to me, and I pointed to the headline on the screen of my laptop, and she waited a minute as if to let this sink in, that this, this thing had happened. And then she simply said, why? And I had no answer. She sat with me a while longer, and then she left. And we didn't say anything else. Here in Luke 2, Simeon speaks of a sword. And we also have no answer to the question why. Yet the Gospels do not flinch. They don't pretend, even at the birth of Jesus, when it could all simply be angels singing Gloria, Gloria, Gloria. Simeon's reference to a sword anticipates the massacre of innocents, the massacre of helpless children in Bethlehem by King Herod and his soldiers, which you can read about in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus barely escaped that. And for years to come, while in Egypt, where they fled to, Mary would have felt the loss of those babies, the pain of their mothers, some of them friends of hers, family members. And so the sword here in Luke 2 points to the pain that all of us go through in our families, in relationships of all kinds. It comes from outside as adversity. It comes from within, and we bear responsibility for that as conflict and division. So today, if you don't know, is a healing service. We have started the new year at Courtright for many years this way. Whatever division it is that you're facing right now in your life, in a relationship, maybe in your family, Jesus comes to restore unity. He comes to bring peace. And I would encourage you later in the service, when you come up for communion, to continue on and to receive a blessing for 2020 or a prayer, that God would bring his unity, his transformation into your life. Maybe you have grown callous, even cynical about the possibility of that. But God can do it. God can do anything we believe. But the sword here points farther. The deepest wound for any parent lies in the death of their own child. And this sword points ahead to the cross, to the death of Mary's own child, Jesus. Christ enters the world to die. He comes as a baby to show that God's love has been poured out for us to the point of coming among us in this vulnerable, weak form. Like any other baby, but also unlike any other baby, he lived as we can never live. He had no sin to weigh him down until he took the darkness and the sin of the whole world onto himself. He was perfectly and uniquely innocent, and yet he gave himself up to evil and to death so that we could live. Why did there have to be a sword? Why did Jesus have to die? Because we cannot help ourselves. It's not just the murderers among us, there is darkness in every one of our hearts. And so, like Simeon, we wait for the Lord. God offers grace and forgiveness like no one else can. And he does that freely, but it comes at a tremendous cost for him. Jesus plunges into our darkness. He offers himself up as the only lasting source of hope in a world of despair. And Simeon announces all of that with this great big now. His eyes have seen the glory of God's salvation. The light has already dawned, but the final day has not yet come. Evil has not yet been banished from the world or even from our own hearts. Sin in our lives still holds us back and mars the goodness. Already not yet. Simeon gives us both the now of salvation, the new song we can already sing, and the not yet of the sword of death, of sickness, of evil. And we live in the tension between that already and that not yet. And as we do that, God invites us to wait with him, to wait for him, to learn to trust him. God wants us to rest in the hope that he gives us for this new year, whatever you're facing. And he reminds us that Christ has already come into the world, but the story is not yet over. And so, as we said through Advent, as we said through Christmas, which officially ended yesterday, and as we will continue to say throughout the year, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for the now of Simeon's song. For the way you have already spoken your final word of love and grace to us in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you be our guide and our consolation as we contend with the not yet of this fallen, broken world and of our own sin. Help us to trust you more this new year. To anticipate that you will show up in ways we haven't yet dreamed of. To give us eyes to see the way that you're doing that sometimes imperceptibly though I pray for all those who are waiting here today waiting for you to bring change into their lives waiting for you to show them the way to go where to live who to pursue in relationship what job to take how to focus their efforts use their time how to serve you we pray for those who are sick we ask for your healing. We pray for those who are mourning. We pray for your comfort. We pray for peace in our families and friendships. We pray for peace between Iran and the United States of America. Lord, we pray that there would be not, there would not be war. We pray to you who are the Prince of Peace. Would you bring peace into our homes and peace to all the nations just as you came? as a light, not just to your people, the people of Israel, but to the whole world. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Kristen Recker, oh, there she is, to come forward now and to share a story with us.
1: Good morning. I'm here to share a story of healing. It's a story of physical healing that occurred through the power of Jesus Christ, and I share it so that we can all be encouraged. Healing is a mystery, but I believe that it is ultimately the will of God the Father. There are many scriptures that point towards healing throughout the Bible, from Exodus, where God reveals that one of His names is Healer, all the way through to Revelation. There is a very strong biblical basis for believing that healing is possible even for today. Although we do have surgery and medicine at our disposal, we also know that our God is the God of the impossible. I had been feeling discouraged about healing and frankly lacking in faith due to the fact that someone in my own life is afflicted with a physical issue that needs a healing touch from Jesus. Despite years of prayer, we have not yet seen breakthrough. However, over and over in the Gospels, I read about Jesus healing everyone who came to him. And scripture tells me that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It happened at a prayer meeting here in the fall. I have to be honest, I was quiet during prayer. I didn't feel like I had much to contribute at all. Um, during the prayer time, I had a thought that someone had pain in the area of their neck or their shoulder, Uh, It was a brief thought, almost more like a picture thought, more than words. And then as we prayed, it faded into the background of my mind. Near the end of the prayer, again, the thought came to me. So we wrapped up the prayer time, and then I asked if anyone had pain in their shoulder area that needed prayer. And someone's hand immediately shot into the air. I must admit, I was pretty surprised. The person was Betty Shewitt. And so we gathered around her to lay hands and to pray. Praying for physical healing is something that I don't often do. It can make me feel a bit uncomfortable. I begin to wonder, well, like, what happens if the person isn't healed? And what if that impacts their faith in a loving God? This time, despite my doubts, I prayed in obedience, knowing that God had given me that thought. But I'll be honest, I was not praying with a lot of faith in my heart. We prayed as a group, and it wasn't long. We just simply were asking for healing in the name of Jesus. Several weeks later, I met Betty at church, and I asked how her shoulder was. And I was shocked and then delighted to hear that she's had no pain in her shoulder and neck area since the night that we prayed for her she expressed joy that Jesus had healed her and that she's now able to turn her head from side to side with no issues. Furthermore, headaches that have been plaguing her have also been resolved. My heart leapt for two reasons. One, I really had heard from God in my heart. That evening, I was not feeling spiritual at all. And still, God spoke. The still, small voice that was simply a thought, Was from God. And secondly, Jesus healed Betty, a much loved daughter who had had pain for years. God's healing power was available, even though I was not praying with much faith in my heart. Perhaps that is why God is so passionate about community and family. I didn't have a lot of faith, but perhaps others who were praying with me did. We don't know why all those who pray for are not healed. We don't have that answer, and, you know, I don't think we ever will have the answer this side of heaven. I do know that 100% of the people that we don't pray for will not get healed. Do we need to wait until God gives us a word before we spring into action? Or do we need to wait for the occasion of a healing service? I don't think so. We can ask a person respectfully if they would like prayer for healing. It's their right to refuse. But the name of Jesus Christ is powerful, and it is by his stripes that we are healed.